Welcome to Stromash, the Scottish NFL podcast. This is episode 197, and I'm delighted to confirm and announce officially Paul Mitchell and Gordon McGuinness have made the cut. They're in the final roster. Parsons out, though. He's not here. So it's just the three of us this evening, and I think it's going to be easier that way, Paul. Less of the noise. I don't think there was any, any doubt that I was going to make the cut. And I have to say, I always had my money on Gordon getting through as well. So, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, cream rises. What can, I, what can I tell you? I mean, that's that's just the way it goes. Yes, delighted to welcome Gordon McGuinness to the podcast as we have a look at the West, the AFC West and the NFC West. Cameron will take us through the AFC. I'll take you through the NFC because we may, and I say may, have a biased 49ers fan on the programme. I've got no idea what you're talking about. They say West is best. And if the West is the best, then this season, the AFC West is probably the best within the West. And this is something that we'll discuss because both divisions have some interesting uh, dynamics going on. The competition is going to be thrilling on a number of fronts. But genuinely, this AFC West feels like the division where you could make an argument for any of these teams to win it. I think. Tell me that I'm wrong. Tell me the team, first of all, for you, Gordon, that cannot win the AFC West. Uh, the Raiders and the Broncos. I think the winner comes from the, the Chiefs and the Chargers. But is it uh, impossible for those two to win? It's pretty close to it. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe it's not. I don't know. It, it feels... <laughs> I, I, Joe, I, I maybe even have a tough time seeing past the Chiefs in general. There's, it's Patrick Mahomes. You know they're still they're so good in the regular season. You know it's I, I, it's it's really tough. I, I suppose on the is it impossible? No. Derek Carr is not bad enough that they have no chance to win that division with the weapons they have. Russell Wilson is not bad enough to mean they can't win that division with Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. Good defences. Yeah, not impossible. I'd probably say like 45% chance it's the, it's the Chiefs. Maybe 25 it's the Chargers and then split your other 30% between the other two. Oh, quick maths there. Impressive. They don't, <laughs> they, don't let, they don't let me work at an analytics company for nothing. I tell you, that just proves the point that Gordon always, always gives 100%. So I think that <laughs> proves that. So to counter that, so the argument is this could be really dull that Kansas have won it for the last six years and will go on to make it seven. Denver won it the five years before that. I think it's 2009 since the Chargers won it, 2002 since the Raiders won it. But I'll tell you something. If I was forced to watch just one division of football this season, this is the division I would watch. Because I think this more than any others, do I think it will come down to the the divisional games. I think this is going to be absolutely fascinating because I think head-to-head, the old cliche of any given Sunday, home or away, I think all of these teams can beat the other on their day. Here's, Here's a question I have about this division. Do we think there is a reasonable chance that these teams beat each other up too much for the division winner when it gets to the playoffs? Like how many, how likely is it that this division is wrapped up for the division winner by week 17? So they've got some time for rest. Can I think probably not? Maybe, maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. I don't know. And and I feel like they're going to have to go 
all season, they're going to be in multiple shootouts that are going to take a lot of things out of players. And that could impact them come playoffs. Yeah, I mean, the last two weeks themselves, you know, it will be, you know, for, for Denver, for example, it's the Chiefs and then the Chargers. You know, the, these are going to be horrifically tough games, uh, given the fact that they also play, you know, from a Denver point of view. So if we're, if we're going to look at Denver, you know, can Russell Wilson, the big sexy new contract, come out and start well? I think they can start incredibly well. At Seattle, I don't think they'd be scared of that. Texans, San Francisco at home, and they, then it's the Raiders, Colts, and Chargers. They are not seeing, you know, the Chiefs for a while. So I think that gives Denver a real advantage to try and come out the gate really, really quickly. There's a lot to be said to the point that Gordon just made about, you know, whether or not these teams bang each other up. I guess the question is, another, what's the more likely outcome here? That we get one dominant team that wins this and ultimately gets the number one seed for the AFC or three teams from this division make the postseason with no team getting anywhere near the number one. You're then trusting them to be, to be outside the division, to win all these games. So in Denver's point of view, the Jets and the Jags, I mean, you've got to expect them to take care of both of those games. You know, they're at the Panthers, you know, so the, there's some games on their schedule which look like relative at this stage. You know, we all like to predict these things as as what you would class as not gimmies, because every game in the NFL is tough. But you would certainly be fancying that. I think Denver would be d- looking down at that, thinking we've got a winning season on our hands. If and it's the old old if if you can stay healthy, are the running backs good enough? Do they have good enough wide receivers? I think they do. It'd be interesting. I mean, Gordon. Probably got a little bit more knowledge on defense than I have to th- to see what he thinks whether Denver, you know, because it's always been vaunted that the Denver defense is decent. Is this a good enough collection of players t- to keep them solid so that everything doesn't have to go on the shoulders of Russell Wilson? I think so. Like they they've got talent in the secondary, and if you're going to you know start start a defense, that's where I would start. Um, Patrick Sertain Jr. was really good as rookie year. Uh, they've got this safety whose name's totally escaping me. The franchise tagged. Um, they, they've got good players there. the The thing with this division, like to Cameron's point, is I I think it's more likely that one team run away with it and is the number one seed or the number two seed, even though that counts for nothing anymore, than three of them make the playoffs. And the reason why I think. So I think everyone looked at, looks at this division and the first thing they say is, oh, these are four really good teams. This could be the first time we ever see four teams in the playoffs from the one division because you can now have three wildcard teams. Oh, we're going to see three. It's the division most likely to have three. But they're going to beat each other up. So the you know they're going to inflict losses on each other when other teams in other divisions, the, the second team in the AFC North, versus the second team in the AFC South, like they're going up against a third team and a fourth team who are going to be weaker than, let's let's call it the Broncos and the Raiders in this division. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the mathematical formula is for it to <clears throat> be the outcome that it's four teams from one division. I'm thinking that's a... It's, like, it's got it, to be a 100 some, to 1... It, it's something like a thousand to one shot or something. It, I'm sure it's something like 0.5% or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually think like 
both sides of it. So if you're in an easier division, it's unlikely that all four teams make it because um, there's bad teams in that division. Whereas if you're in a good division, it's unlikely all four teams make it because good teams beat good teams. And you know, so zero point five percent. So they still got more chance than the Jaguars. Then that's good. <laughs> if we look at this division, though, right? Uh, genuinely, again, I'm just going to put this out there, and all I want you to say is: Has this team, in your opinion, improved since last year, or have they regressed since last year? So let's go through them, right? Denver Broncos, better this year or worse? Better. Like, I mean, Definitely. just just by yes. Drew yeah. Lock to Russell Wilson, better. Absolutely right. So, uh, hang on. If if you've ever got a worry, it's always a first year head coach. You're never sure how they're going to do. So yes, the team is is better. Is the coaching better? You would think so if they've done their due diligence. But I always always worry about a first year head coach. So the LA Chargers, yes, they've improved. Yeah, Khalil Mack improves them. Um, they made another. I'm sure they made a good signing in free agency and defensive backfield. That they've they've improved. Okay, Paul. And as much as yes, I think I think they they are still benefiting from getting Justin Herbert. I don't think they realised quite what they were getting, um, and I think they've just gotten better and better. Uh, just having a look, you know, at who they've signed. You know, you're talking obviously, you know, JC Jackson from the Patriots, five years, 82 million, and Austin Johnson from the Giants, two years, 14 million. You know, so they've picked up a few, but, you know, they've also picked up and other players in and around because often sometimes think it's the depth that you have. You need that little bit of depth. And to me, you know, they've brought in quite a lot of players at not a great deal of money. And I think they've, they've spent their money wisely, I would suggest. Obviously, we yet to see all of the cuts that will come. You know, not all of these players will make it through. Uh, plus, of course, they beat the Saints in preseason, so obviously installs them as high favourites. Um, JC Jackson and Kyle Van Noy. Uh, JC Jackson was the guy yeah. I was I was thinking of, like interception at cornerback. Yeah, yeah. And and even Van Noy, you know, he's in his early thirties now. Good, good, solid player. Absolutely. So you add that to Joey Bosa. Um, you know, and if you can possibly get Darwin James fit and being what Darwin James is all about, you talk about Khalil Mack, it's a massively disruptive um defense. Even Bryce Callahan is Bryce Callahan new into the Chargers this year? I feel like he's new. Um, but you know, certainly it, it feels like they've taken a step forward. Okay. The Las Vegas Raiders. Yes, there. Devontae Adams. Uh, yet, uh, yet to be convinced, I have to say. I'm not convinced. I'd pick up a Devontae Adams. It's a good one, but... Who have they lost, almost... I guess? It's like, to that point, who, is, who are the players that have actually gone away from there? I think that the, the question mark for me there remains around the running back position. Josh Jones, Josh Jacobs even. Um, just didn't get going, you know, it started his career well, but just it feels like that's an area that definitely needs to be addressed. Now, Marlon Mack has been released by the Texans tonight, and I wonder whether Marlon Mack is the sort of player that might end up, and I think that, um, yeah, there's other players in the mix for that as well. It's the offensive line that worries me. The offensive line, the the offensive line is bad, and 
they cut Alex Leatherwood tonight, who they spent the 17th overall pick on two years ago. Um, and apparently they tried to trade him to everyone. Ian Rappaport had him. They got 32 no's, so they even looked in the mirror, asked if they wanted him, and they still said no, so they <laughs> cut him at that point. That offensive line, Colton Miller, good player. John Simpson, eh, okay. Andre James, okay. Jermaine Ilu- Illuminor? Yeah. He played with the Ravens, and I still can't pronounce his name properly. He's, <laughs> not, he's not good. He's not a good football player. So that's, you know... That, They've got enough weapons, but that offensive line could be a problem. And, and the weapons, you say that as well, though, like they've got, um, obviously they've got Devontae Adams, big target, right? And we know that Devontae Adams can be the only stud wide receiver in a team and make it work well if he can get a great relationship with his quarterback. And I, I like Derek Carr, right? I am, there's, Derek Carr is, I think, one of the most, Split opinion quarterbacks in the whole league. I definitely fall on the positive side with Derek Carr. I think he's a very capable player that's not often had the pieces around him. Again, you talk about his offensive line, and we know how much of an impact that has. I think, you know, with Darren Waller there, with Devontae Adams, he has got two big targets that are very capable of making plays, even if Derek Carr's a little bit off. And I think that sets them up to be successful. Um, it sets them up to to be able to maybe circumvent the issues with the line if Derek can if Derek can get the ball at his hand quick enough. Uh, Hunter Renfro as well. Like Yeah, yeah, I forget about Hunter Renfro in the slot. He's very good. Player. He's yeah. just so I will I'll be honest, I hated him coming out of Clemson because I was like, here we go again. It's the same, like we've seen all these short wide receivers, uh, the slot wide receivers, and everyone, as soon as they come out, everyone goes, oh, it's Julian Edelman, it's Danny Amadola, it's Wes Welker, literally just short white guy, so everyone gets compared to them. And there's loads of those guys in college football, and most of them don't work out. The thing that you see of him year in, year out, is how good a route runner he is. And there was, I don't know which defensive back it was, on a, an NFL podcast recently, someone asked him who the best route runner in the NFL is. And his response straight away was Hunter Renfro. And then you see some of the stuff he does. He makes really quick cuts. I think he has a really great understanding of how, how to find the soft spot in zones. And on this offense, when they're going to have Devontae Adams probably having to be doubled up, they're going to have people having to really focus on Darren Waller because if you let him go, you know, you're going to be in trouble. Hunter Renfro, I think, might, have a hundred catch season this year. Maybe that maybe there's not enough targets around, but like he's he's gonna he's gonna see a lot of the ball because he's gonna find a lot of find a lot of space. I think you can actually make a case for the Raiders who have gone unbeaten in preseason. You could make a sensible case to say they could be 0-5 to start the season. They've got a tough one, you know, at the Chargers, Car- Cardinals at home, at Tennessee, Denver at home, at Kansas. You know, you could have a reasonable argument to say they could be 0-5. Likely it is they'll be 2-3 and three or something like that. But this is what we don't know what's going to come out of, of here. First-year head coach, Josh McDaniels as well. He's got a lot to prove, having turned down various jobs before. Yeah, they're unbeaten in pre-season, but pre-season doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter in those oh, terms. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, well, apart from, you know, the world record holders <laughs> of pre-season. Um, you know, I just don't know. See, if I was a head coach, I don't know why I'd want my record to be. That's the first time the Raiders have gone undefeated in the pre-season, Jacksonville, Minnesota, Miami, New England. But, you know, when, when it comes to the crunch, they have got a fairly brutal start. 
and and now we get to the team that I'm guessing Cameron set this whole. Have they got better up for? And you go then. So that's three teams that have improved: the Broncos, the Chargers, and the Raiders. And yes, God has seen it coming a mile away. Um, have the Kansas City Chiefs improved or not improved? <laughs> got worse. Improved. You think they've improved? Yep. So for two, so for two reasons. Let's first take the where they've improved on defense. They added Trent McDuffie. They added Brian Cook. They've improved their secondary that way. Uh, their linebackers, Leo, they had a really, really good draft. And they've, they're going to have guys who are going to have impacts year one. Leo Chanel, uh, George Karloftis. That that defense has taken a step forward. The other reason why I'm going to say they've improved is because if they've improved there, everyone's going to focus on, oh, well, they've lost Tyreek Hill. How can they ever come back from losing Tyreek Hill? Well, they added Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They added Juju Smith-Schuster. They added Sky Moore. That's three players who I'm relatively confident are going to, in different ways, account for that added production. They still have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. You've given him, okay, you've lost Tyreek Hill, but Sky Moore is a great prospect. Juju Smith-Schuster, everyone slags him for his TikTok videos. He's going to get a ton of targets in that offense. Do they have so the the question mark here for me is the same as the Raiders, not fully the same because that was the line, <clears throat> but the running back position. What Tyreek Hill was able to do was come back and almost do that slight Debo role where he could receive it in the backfield and do something with it because he was so fast. The players that they've replaced him with, I agree. Valdez Gantling is a good wide receiver without being brilliant. I think it's seven out of ten wide receiver, no problem at all. Juju, we know, can be an 8-9, but, you know, there's obviously injuries and stuff like that. There's there's definitely pace and there's capability. But have they got that Swiss Army Knife type player? Because have they actually addressed the backfield to a point where they don't need Tyreek Hill to be coming back and doing that? Um, you know, there's obviously the rookies getting a lot of attention. Ronald Jones they brought in. Ronald Jones has never got going in Tampa. And... You know, Tampa made Leonard Fournette look good. So I'm not sure that Ronald Jones is going to contribute much to this. Clyde Edwards Alaire is a player that just hasn't really lived up to expectations thus far. Jerry McKinnon's very capable, but again, I'm not sure any one of those has the impact at the backfield that Tyreek Hill did. And that for me is something in the arsenal where sometimes when Mahomes was perhaps not in his groove, not finding his receivers, he could lean back on. And I'm not sure what plan B is. If a defense is set up to keep the pressure on Mahomes, make sure that his receivers are covered because there's nothing in the backfield. Nothing. Nothing's harsh. Well, there's not much. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the, the question is a simple one. If you were the Chiefs GM, would you have taken, would you have made the deal that they made with Miami? There, yes. There's the question. I, I mean, yeah. for me, to me, absolutely I would have yes. taken the deal. yes. I think that deal is also looking at the future, right? Because it's about picks down the line yep. and what have you. So it's not it's not necessarily a win now because with Mahomes well, and massive contracts, you don't need to be win now. You've got that quarterback tied up for another eight years, is it? Um, and there's a lot of talent around them, like you say. There's look at the if you look at the depth chart, the, the number of rookies that they've got on their teams, wild. It's hundreds of them. Um, 
I, and that means that they have got a lot of youth coming in there, a lot of young players coming into the mix, which means that they can take a year or two to to still maybe win the division, but not necessarily go all the way. They don't have to, and they can continue to invest those picks in making themselves better. I wouldn't be surprised if they used what they got for hell to go and get some more wide receivers. If the additions that they've made to their defense have had the desired effect, they may go out and get an amazing running back. I can't think off the top of my head who's coming out in the draft next year in that position, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was it was loaded more till this year though, Cameron, because it was first round twenty twenty two, second round twenty twenty two, fourth round twenty twenty two, fourth round twenty twenty three, sixth round twenty twenty three. So you know they they do have options, but I would have taken the trade all day long. I th- I think when you watch part of the fun with watching the Chiefs was. You never really knew they were where they were going to throw the ball. They had so many good targets. Um, I just thought at times it got a little bit busy. Um, you can also, if you want to question Tyreek's character, um, you you could see you may have a win in the locker room as far as that's concerned as well. And I don't know, you know what you know Sky Moore is like. They'll have done their due diligence on him, but I think it's a big win. I mean, you could argue it's a win for Miami because they've got somebody that might make plays for them. But I think I, they've I, still got people so all over that will make plays. I, I think it's the the reason why it's a win for Miami is because I think it helps them be put in a position where you're going to know whether or not you have something into it or not. I think that's the that's the important thing. The the Chiefs' backfield, so I think this is interesting. Edward Solaire's averaged like four yards a carry or better his first two seasons in the NFL. I I don't think you need to be a great running back in this offense because teams shifted to two high safeties against Mahomes last year. You can't you, you can't fill the box against the Chiefs because he's too good and they've got too many weapons that you're just, you know, we, we talk we talk about the, the offensive weapons and Travis Kelsey's still arguably the best tight end in the NFL. One, one of the top two or three tight ends in the NFL, top two receiving tight end in the NFL. And you look at that, like so many weapons on that offense for them to throw the ball to that you can't have more than six in the box if you're going to try and stop that, at which point... That's where running backs can do really well. I don't think Clyde Edwards-Alaire is particularly good, but I also don't think he's so bad that it's, oh, no, yeah. they, need, they need to help at running back. Same with Jarrett McKinnon, Ronald Jones. I think people have flown off the handle with the Isaiah Pacheco uh, yeah. hype this, this <laughs> offseason. But, you know, he's, he's fine as well. So, yeah, the, the, like Edwards, Edwards-Alaire is a 6 out of 10 player. I think if we're... If I'm sticking to my scoring, Ronald Jones is the low end on that one at a four. I, but I feel like, yeah, they just, and again, I'm not, I am not in any way saying that the Chiefs have massively regressed here. Uh, I don't think that is the case. I think that all the other teams have improved more than they have. Um, and I think that makes it really interesting because this division, you know, it, it was pretty tight. And outside of the North, this was the, the closest division. Um, you know, you had the Broncos at the bottom of a 7-10 and 10 record. Now, the improvements that they make, can they expect better than 7-10? and 10? Hell yeah. Um, the Chargers won, were in records in third place, didn't make the postseason. The Raiders managed to sneak through 10-7 and seven and then the Chiefs 12-5. and five. So I, I just think it's a fascinating division. I think to bring it all the way back around, though, I think if you're sitting here looking at it, you do have to say it's the Chiefs with the best chance of an upset is the Chargers. The... They need to figure out some of those offensive play calls. I still think 
uh, in the other side of LA to give Herbert the opportunity. But you saw what a talent he was. Um, it's a thrilling division all round. Is that is that a complaint about the offensive play calls? Or are you complaining about them going for it and fourth down? Uh, no, no, I'm not complaining about them going for it and fourth down. It felt for me at times that some of the play calls just didn't seem like they were suited to the style of play that Herbert was demonstrating at the time. Uh, and they leaned on Eckler at points where I just didn't feel... It didn't feel like they fully trusted their quarterback yet. But that flies in the face, right? Because they go for it on fourth down all the time. So it just felt a little bit confused at times, I thought. Um, and I think that that's something that you probably want to see, you know, a continued bond between the coach and his, uh, and his quarterback. Uh, if they can get that in a really nice groove, then great. I think they're going to be a really exciting team to watch. And the people of LA are lucky that they've got two great teams that they can go and watch every single week uh, and see quality play from both. So... Just one final thing on on the the Raiders. I mean, Mike Maycock obviously you know gets you know a lot of credit for what he's done in various parts, but that the draft over the last couple of years is looking really poor from the Raiders' perspective. You imagine if they drafted just that little bit better, um, they they could be a so heck of bad. a different team. So this this is great because earlier on, Sam Monson, my colleague, tweeted out to ask, has anyone ever looked at? what would have happened if the Raiders had just drafted like where the consensus board, which is like a kind of writers and thing and all this plugged into what's the general consensus on how good players are. Generally speaking, it's that whole, you know, wisdom of the crowd thing whereby. Uh, so 2019, instead of uh, Cleland Farrell, Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Abraham, all of whom have had have their fifth year option declined, they would have had Josh Allen, the... I'm sure that's the pass rusher rather than the yeah, um, quarterback. QB, yeah, because yeah. he was tw- he was 2018. Montez Sweat and Joanne Taylor. Now, none, none of the three of them are great, but all would have probably been better picks than the guys they had. 2020, uh, they would have got Jerry Judy and Caleb Von Chase on instead of Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett. I mean, that definitely would have been a better uh, yeah, outcome. Yeah, but yeah. If, if to defend them on that, Ruggs looked like a player. Yeah, If you take away... You know, I, I yeah, think you, you even can justify that one. You even on even one. even on the field, though, I think at this point I would still take Judy. No what we know. If you ignore ignore what happened with, with Henry Ruggs, and then this year, yeah. or sorry, last year, where they took Alex Leatherwood, they would have had Quitty Pay. So they would have had a nice little duo of uh, Quitty Pay and Max Crosby. Although they've also obviously got Chandler Jones there, so. It's a, it's a tough run of draft picks they had. They also they traded away their 2019 second round pick today. Uh, cornerback they traded to the Cardinals. So that's it's a lot of draft capital, most of which was like the, the Khalil Mack trade. And everyone looks at that and everyone's like, oh, it was such a bad trade for the Raiders. It really wasn't. It was a good trade in the sense that they got a ton of draft capital. You just you have to hit on a couple of those picks. And if you don't, it doesn't look good. If you don't hit on those picks, then you just go back and just become a... TV analyst. You've got to help on your first round. Pick, I think that's, <laughs> that, 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 that's pretty sure. Right. Before we move on to the NFC and we get Cameron's move from podcast host to rabid fan. Uh, are we all going with the, the Kansas City Chiefs? Are they, are they going to pick up the division seven years in a row? Is that the consensus? Uh, they're the team to beat. Uh, yeah. I can't. I, there's no obvious 
alternative that you can definitely see. I think it's open. And I would I be surprised if it's another team? And mildly, but not as surprised as I would be by a mix-up like that in one of the other divisions. I think this is, to your point, Paul, if I, if I could only watch one division all season long, I'd choose this one. I think there's a lot to like here, and I think there'll be some fascinating games. So, yeah. Right, let's move on to the wonderful NFC West, which used to be, I think, best described as a toilet of a division, and it's it's come back round to be absolutely fascinating. You know, but what is it, 10 years ago, it was one of these terrible divisions. Everybody's back and playing particularly decent football. Let's start with the defending champions. It is notoriously difficult to, to go back-to-back in Super Bowls, but if you look at the roster and what they've done, I think they're quite well-built, Cameron, to, to continue. Yeah, they definitely are. I think that, you know, Alan Robinson uh, is, has just landed in his best ever team with his best opportunity to thrive. Uh, and I think that he's a player that we've not seen the best of for a while, but he is an exciting talent. And, you know, between him and Cooper Cup, obviously we know about the, there were so many injuries in the backfield last year. I think there's still some question marks over Cam Akers. He's not really been training. So, you know, he's carrying a knock. Uh, Daryl Henderson seems to be carrying a knock as well. So maybe that's the one area that they need to address. But they didn't hold him back last year at all. So I think that Tyler Higby has shown himself to be a really good um, blocking and receiving tight end. I think that there's a lot to like here. Um, you know, Bobby Wagner clearly fired up. No. Bobby, well, yeah, he will be because uh, he stayed in division. But to play alongside Aaron Donald, who's been flinging the helmets around already in training, you know, they're pumped and aggressive. And that's how they play on defense. You know, Jalen Ramsey is exactly that type of player. I've been very vocal about how much of a ball bag he is at times, and he is. But that's that style of playing cornerback works for certain people. And you, you see that be successful. So uh, genuinely, there isn't an area of weakness for me in that team that stand out other than potentially in the running back room again. I think the area of weakness is depth. And if they go through the season without much in the way of injuries, I think they'll be absolutely fine. Favourite win the division, all of that. You get a little bit unlucky with injuries and all of a sudden they're having to start players in the defensive backfield that I don't think you want to start in the NFL. Linebackers as well. Bobby Wagner, great injury there. You're going to have to reach a little bit further down. Even the defensive line, I, I don't think they have a ton of depth, especially on defense. Now, I think they're better on offense, arguably, just by the addition of Allen Robinson. But in the NFL, sometimes you're going to get a little unlucky with injuries. And if they do, you could get in a little bit of trouble here. Also, I mean, one of the problems of, of winning the Super Bowl, if there is such a thing, is that your coaching staff tends to get gutted slightly as well. Kevin O'Connell was the offensive coordinator. He's gone to Minnesota. Chris O'Hara, an assistant, was went with them. You know, so the Vikings have actually got quite a few of their coaches. The interesting thing that I found, Gordon, Sean McVeigh decided that Jay Gruden uh, will be an offensive consultant and would work remotely. It sounds very... COVID-ish and you know just 
he'll flip on his iPad and check his Zoom and Jay Gruden will be there to sprinkle his wisdom a- across the place. Is that a strange one? I, th- I think, well, anytime you can get extra extra experience, then I think you should. Their, their, their offensive coach I'm most excited about is Zach Robinson, their pass game coordinator and quarterbacks coach because he uh, was at PFF a couple of years ago. He's gone to the Rams and he's kind of slowly ascended up. And that, that position he's in right now is the position I think that Kevin O'Connell held. So he might be he might be one year, two years away from a, an opportunity to be an NFL head coach. That will be particularly interesting. Let's jump to San Francisco. And the news today that... <sighs> Well, I mean, it came out yesterday and today just all about, you know, Kyle Shanahan is having to talk about the two quarterback situation between Lance and Garoppolo. And he's basically said, we have a starting quarterback as a backup. There's no way that's bad for our team. Do you believe him? Cameron, you want to take that? Yeah, I, do you know what? My initial reaction to this is a positive one. I think that I know there'll be, if Charles was here, I'll speak on his behalf. He'd be talking about quarterback controversy unnecessarily created. I think that the message has been very clear. This is Trey Lance's team. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has spent the offseason with a big fat question mark over his future that he wasn't fully in control of because ultimately the Niners could have traded him to the Jets, the Browns, wherever. And I think that as it got closer to the season, Jimmy probably realized that the scenario he was going to end up in is very unlikely to be a positive one. And therefore, by restructuring his contract and releasing a substantial amount of money for the 49ers to play with, he is able to spend the season getting himself fit again after his surgery. He can be there to be called upon if Trey Lance gets injured and falls down. And ultimately, at the end of this, he becomes a free agent and he can go and pick where he wants to go. And also, teams aren't put off for going for him and offering him a pretty decent contract without being balked at the fact that he was on such high money before. I see this as a win for everybody involved, with San Francisco and Jimmy. I think it's a positive outcome. I get that people can spin this and go, well, this is a safety net for Lance. And fine, you know, maybe we need one. Maybe we need one. Um, it's very early in, in his career. He has not got a lot of experience. I think having an experienced quarterback in that room with him can only help him. Let's get everybody back around the table again. It's that, you know, that uncle that's been kind of alienated from the family. But you know what? He's good crack at dinner. So let's get him around the table again. Um, and let's have let's have a, a good old chat. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Talk about spinning. Come on. What do you mean people can spin? Honest to God, I thought you were, you could be employed by any of the political parties if you're going to spin like that, my friend. <laughs> that was unbelievable nonsense. You're as bad as Mike Shannon. That's why they tried to trade Garoppolo if he was such an asset. Great question. The coach then threw some shade at the league's other team saying the rest of the league had a chance to get him. I mean, I'm not sure if this is Pravda that I'm reading or, you know, it just, yeah, you got to spin, but boy, are they spinning. I think it's a recipe the, for disaster. I, I think, I, think right. his, I think his contract was why teams did touch him. It's too much yes. money. Nobody's paying that much money for Jimmy Garoppolo. He's, Nobody's paying that for Jimmy Garoppolo. So the other yeah. problem is that, is he a quarterback who takes you and elevates you to a Super Bowl? Probably not. Like, 
him and Kirk Cousins, is there that much difference between either? Don't think so. At which point, if you're a team that needs a quarterback, you probably need a guy that's going to elevate your roster. You know, there wasn't a team when the Colts didn't make the move for him. And if it's interesting to think that the Deshaun Watson mess possibly prevented Jimmy Garoppolo from being traded this offseason because that led to requirements for quarterbacks in... um. Well, sorry, that led to the trade from Atlanta to Indianapolis from Matt Ryan. So, where where I, so I, I don't necessarily disagree with the notion that they re-signed him and you know, did this to a new deal to to kind of put some finality on it this year. Where I think you're going to run into problems is if Trey Lance struggles at all. This is a roster that's capable of going to a Super Bowl. If he struggles at all, the calls are going to come quick and fast, like two weeks of struggles, and people are straight away going to be on. Don't know how fair that is pressure-wise to put on your quarterback, and you might not be setting him up for success in that sense. Now, you spend that high a pick on a quarterback, you expect them to be mentally able to handle those things. Don't know that I would necessarily force my hand that way, though. And I think it's a fair challenge. Like um, We talked about the West is best. Well, we'll find out who's best in the West because the two divisions play against each other this year as well. So not only has he got to go six games against his own division with, I mean, I hope the Seahawks are going to suck as bad as they appear to be, but you know, with the Cardinals and the Rams, that's four exceptionally tough games. Then there's three very difficult games, sorry, four very difficult games against the AFC West. So the schedule isn't easy. Uh, It really isn't. And even week one against the Bears, much maligned, as we have done on this podcast. But Justin Fields has got that little bit more experience. And he's the player that San Francisco didn't go for and went for Lance. So already the pressure's on in that situation. So I agree, this is a high-pressure situation. The expectation is going to be great. We just made it to the, you know, the divisional championship game. Still don't know how, but we did it. We did it. And it was Jimmy that did it, and Jimmy that got us there. So this this don't know how nonsense. It's a good roster. That's why. That's why you're still in a position to go far this season. That like you've got you've got got talent at wide receiver. Debo Samuel, great player. Brandon Ayuk probably a little bit maligned. He's probably better than people will give him credit for. I think he's come on a little bit this preseason. George Kittle at tight end. Kyle Shanahan. I, I. literally don't care who you put at running back and Kyle Shanahan's system, they're going to find yards because the man's an absolute wizard at drawing up running plays. The offensive line, okay, I you know, I think it's it's stronger at tackle than it is throughout the rest of the offensive line, but in that system, I think that's that's important and there's a good defense that's got a load of talented pass rushers. It's a good roster, that's why. I think, I, I think you're right, it is a good roster, it's strong, I think they've handled Garoppolo badly and I think this will come to bite them in the arse. Because if you look at it, camera, if Trey Lance does struggle at weeks one, two, and three, and you bring in Jimmy G and he does nothing, you know, what, what's what's the best thing that can happen to you if that's the case? Do you want Garoppolo to fail so you've got to go back to Lance? Or if Garoppolo comes in and looks like a magician, I just think there's a lot of pitfalls that they wouldn't have had if they'd managed to trade him and even get back an experienced backup that could just nurture you through while he's struggling. I think this this I think is one of the great potential storylines 
that we're going to see. Let's move on to your other favourite team in that division, Cameron, Seattle. Um, you know, every time we go out, you're always talking about how good Seattle are and how much you like them and you know, all of this sort of thing. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, they do not look, I mean, Pete Carroll looks like he's having to do, undergo a rebuild. And I'm sorry, if you're naming Geno Smith as your starting quarterback, I don't care who you're playing for, you've got problems. Geno you know, you know Smith, yeah, uh, you know Smith, the highest graded quarterback in the NFL this preseason. Yeah, coming from preseason. a man who's, was, whose team never loses preseason games. He yes. was... He was he was okay this preseason. Like, I mean, you look at the body, he, he only has 300 attempts in the NFL. Eight touchdowns, nine interceptions. Like, I, I'm not, and just to be clear, I'm not suggesting he's good enough that they win this division. But people were almost a bit like, oh, he won that quarter, quarterback uh, battle. It was against Drew Locke. <laughs> Drew Locke's yeah. a bad quarterback. Geno Smith is, you know, maybe maybe the 35th to 40th best quarterback in the NFL, maybe a little bit higher than that. Drew Locke is, is not. Him winning this job really shouldn't have been a big surprise, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think it's a surprise. I just, I'm just surprised in the fact that these were the two quarterbacks slugging out for the job. I, I, I was surprised they didn't make a move for Baker Mayfield. They were, yeah. they were the other team that made sense for Baker. And I think... I think the Browns probably thought they were going to get a Panthers-Seahawks trade war, and it just never materialized because they were never in the market for Garoppolo. Because why? Why would the 49ers trade Garoppolo? Why would Why would Garoppolo want to go to this roster because it's not great? Uh, and I think that's part of why the Gar- Garoppolo has accepted the deal because he can, can protect himself from being shipped off to Seattle. Um, so you know, he saw that on the cards and went, uh uh-uh, no, do you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll take less money and I'll sit here and choose my own outcome. Thanks very much. Um, and this team's still got talent in it, right? DK Metcalf, we know, is a big bodied, very able wide receiver that Who can run fast? 200 miles an hour. So, therefore, yeah, 200 miles an hour. Absolutely. You know, the, the boy that plays the flash is in all kinds of controversy. So DK Metcalf, you know, I'm putting him forward now. You don't even need to audition, mate. You've already done it. You know, flash in the next um, DC crap film that they produce. Tyler Lockett is a player who continually makes plays. Tremendous. I, I think he's a great player. I, I really like Tyler Lockett. I find it very difficult to dislike him in this team, although not a big Seahawks fan, obviously. Um, I think Kenneth Walker could be a very great player for them as well. I think there's a lot to like there. Obviously had, um, you know, Heisman conversation at one point. Freddie Swain in the slot, very capable as well. Uh, Noah Fant, I think, is a really good tight end. That's, oh, no, he's uh, not. A big tight Noah end Fant's upgrade not for good. them. I Noah think Fant's he's a good, good... I think he is. Oh, no, I, I disagree. That's... Cameron, Cameron, can you just check your internet connection? Because I, I genuinely thought I heard you say Noah Fant was good. So I presume, <laughs> I presume that's a fibre issue or Hang something. I, I, need, I need to look up Noah Fant's career stats at this point because I'm, I'm relatively <laughs> yeah but you're also talking about well, oh, 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 much aligned because he played under Drew Locke so you know you've already highlighted the reason why Noah Fant might not be great on the old statistics but I think that you know he's 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 a player that's contributed couple you know couple of touchdowns every season averages about 600 and 
30 yards a season. You know, a couple of long plays. To, to I remember fair, his first year. To be fair, his stats are actually better than I thought they would be. I just don't, I just don't think he's good. I, yeah, I think no, he's a good no, player. No, Noah Fant is one of these guys you pick up in fantasy because you're convinced he's going to do something. Yes. And he never, ever does. It's that kind of that kind of potential. I, I would agree, and I'll point you back to Drew Locke uh, at Teddy Bridgewater or that wide receiver that had to play at quarterback one week, right? There's reasons that Noah Fant's numbers might not be good that are not necessarily all on Noah Fant. I genuinely think he's an upgrade for the Seahawks and I will die in this ditch if I have to. You see Seahawks? You see Seattle fans? I got you! Incidentally, uh, I do want to point out that there has been some internet signal uh, issues this evening. So if it's if it sounded like uh, me or Paul are more scatty than usual, it's mostly down to that. Let's move on. I, I just love the way it comes across as <laughs> Seahawks on your suit at the moment. So it's great. Fi- fi- final point of the Seahawks. To give them credit, this draft they've had kind of looks like it's pretty good. They might have found their bookend tackles in Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. Boy yep. Maffey, I think, is pretty good. Tariq Willen and Kobe Bryant are guys that got in the at cornerback in the fourth and fifth round. That really wouldn't surprise me if they were their starting cornerbacks by the end of the year. So for a team in a rebuild, they haven't gone out and they haven't overspent the quarterback. You know, this this might be a team that wins five games next year and is in position to find an immediate upgrade at quarterback. Maybe this is the place that, you know, someone in free agency goes next year. Um, I think they're set up to improve in the future. Which was one of the questions you've answered part of it. Can we give Pete Carroll credit to think, I ain't winning the division this year, not with what's ahead, so I will build on the lines, I'll try and get the corners right for that very reason. Next year is when I'll bring in my, my quarterback. Can he survive a bad season in Seattle? Though, are they, are, how do the expectations go? I, I think so. I I don't think they would fire him after a bad season this year. I think what's more likely is that he decides time is up because um, he's not getting any younger. Um, so that would be my thing. I I think they would have to win four or fewer games for him to go for him to be for him to be set. Yeah, I mean, I I think that. I think he's on the right line. He's only 70 years old. Um, I think he's on the right lines of a potential rebuild. I think, as I say, the only thing I think could derail that if there is... I would say I think you'd have to go as low as three wins for him to to get the bullet. Should we be concerned or should we be excited about the Arizona Cardinals this year? Because I think of all the teams here, this is the one I'm not sure what they're going to do. I agree with that, but before we get there, did you just say he's only 70 years old? Yeah. Spoken like a true geriatric yourself. Um, <laughs> no, no, can I just point out that I was listening to, to baseball last night, 88-year-old Bob Euchre calling sorry, games. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Your, count, your counterpoint to being called a geriatric no, no, no. is <laughs> I, was, I was listening to baseball last night. On the radio, on the radio. That is an all-time highlight on this podcast. (laughs) As a broadcaster, you learn from other broadcasters. What I'm saying is I think we can be a little bit ageist. 70's nothing. If the guy's fit as a fiddle, let him go. I agree. He is is very fit. And I agree completely. But I still think the term in someone that is a full-time worker, only 70 is a wild statement regardless, right? I just No, I don't think so. I, I think it's all—it's nothing to do with your age. It's all about your attitude and your outlook. Because let's be honest, guys, we all know guys in the 30s and 40s 
who you'd quite happily put out to pasture very quickly uh, because of their outlook and the negativity they bring. Pete Carroll's got that that energy and that that drive and enthusiasm, and I, I just love to love to see that. And I think I think like Gordon, is almost untouchable in Seattle. Let's come back though to Arizona. Reasons to be positive or not? And that was Paul Mitchell with today's Thought of the Day. Um, <laughs> yes, I think there is reasons to be positive. <laughs> send the, send the check. <laughs> um, I think there is reasons to be positive. I think that... I think I'm going to steal one of Gordon's points earlier about another team and throw it here. I think that there's the, the issue that the Cardinals have is depth. Um, I think that there's... The, the starting 11 on both sides is, is really good. But I think that there's still some question marks about Kyler, right? We can talk about quarterback controversies. I don't think no matter what happens in San Francisco, adding a clause about the amount of hours you spend doing research and it becoming very public will is a bigger controversy than anything. Whether or not it was meant to have the outcome it had, it had a pretty negative outcome and puts a bunch of question marks on Kyler Murray. There's, there's two things they did this off-season with Kyler Murray that, to me, just go completely against the idea that you've just given this guy a boatload of money as your franchise quarterback. One was that clause, which didn't make them look good, didn't make Kyler look good. Incidentally, they might have a hot start of the season and then deteriorate because Call of Duty comes out at the end of October. And someone, someone did... Someone did... <laughs> Someone someone did a statistical analysis and small sample size maybe, but his sats did take a dip after Call of Duty comes out. Uh, the, other, the, other, the other weird thing was, and this in its own I don't think is weird, but the, the reasoning behind it was, Kyler Murray called plays for the Cardinals in preseason in the fourth quarter, I think it was. And the reason why he did it was, I, I think it was uh, Cliff Kingsbury, basically said you know he's always telling us why we should do things differently so i said to him well you go you call plays then see if you can do it better and i think if you let your quarterback call plays in the fourth quarter preseason i think that's fine i think telling people that the reason you did it was because he's kind of complaining about play calls it's just it's just weird and i i really do wonder about that dynamic i think it's interesting that one of the intangibles that, that, that is hard to measure is somebody's inner drive. And you, we read so many stories, you know, about, you know, quarterbacks who spend hours and hours and hours in the film room and studying playbooks. And, you know, we've seen it on Hard Knocks and the likes, you know, where somebody's sitting with their wife or girlfriend and, you know, she's going through the book and he's running all these different scenarios and things like that. If you don't have a quarterback that does that, you have got to have possibly the best natural talent and ability in the world to to take anything on. I think at the moment the Cardinals are are not sure what they've got, and I don't think they're setting him up to succeed either. I think he he is really naturally talented as well, and I, I saw someone say something really interesting about that because Kyler Murray has openly admitted he does not spend hours and hours studying his opponent, and he he says it's because he just he doesn't he doesn't get enough out of it. And he kind of is more of a kind of gamer and <laughs> poor, poor choice of words there because maybe that's yeah, why yeah. the claws in. Um, he's more of a guy who like sees it during the game and stuff like that. And someone said, when you look through his film and you see how quickly he's making decisions, 
it, it kind of looks like that is the case for him. So I, I do think he has a ton of natural talent. It's just whether or not there is a, a great dynamic at quarterback and head coach um, that can help them. But, you know, his, his first few seasons in the NFL have been a huge success, especially the controversy. Remember when he was drafted number one overall, everyone was like, oh, why are you doing this? You had Josh Rosen, who's just been cut from his sixth team, I think, today. Yeah, he's he's not made uh, the impact he wanted. What about the draft, Cameron? Trey McBride taken as the the highest draft pick for the Cardinals. I mean, he's he's a tremendous athlete. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And he does give Kyler Murray a, a different kind of out now. He does, but they, you know, Zach Ertz is a great tight end that they had at the position. So I feel like that that's actually probably one of the areas that they're best in on depth. They've obviously got DeAndre Hopkins, who's going to come back after. Uh, six games and it's going to be a massive factor you know that is too much of a talent too much money spent there for him not to have an impact I I worry about them at the start of the season AJ Green um, at times looked great at times looked really questionable some really odd decision making it felt like him and Murray didn't really have a connection Marquise Brown let's find out what he's all about right he's got a point to prove so he could be a really interesting uh, addition Rondell Moore we could see what he was capable of some big plays but it was kind of like an unknown entity last year, whereas now we know more of what he's about. And he disappeared at times during the season. There's no backfield competition. It felt like Chase Edmonds was a player that they could lean back on as well as James Conner. James Conner is great, but obviously injury question marks there. Picking up Darrell Williams out of you know Kansas City, fine. Um it's yeah, it, it's it's a team that's very capable. It's a team that I think are very much in postseason contention, largely as well down to the fact that the NFC is not all that great. I, I wouldn't be fully surprised to see them finish second in the division. I think that, you know, there's a lot of question marks about uh, Trey Lance, and therefore this is where the Cardinals can thrive. And I think that the Rams win this division actually quite easily. And then it's between the Cardinals and the Niners as to who finishes second. You could still end up in an outcome where both make the postseason, but it's harder this year because we play the AFC West and there's some tough games in there. So I don't see the win totals being as high. I think this is very possibly the best wide receiver room in the NFL when on, when DeAndre Hopkins comes back. Because AJ Green would then be wide receiver four. DeAndre yeah. Hopkins, Mar- Marquise Brown like, infuriated me in one game last year with a ton of drops, but he can absolutely fly. Him and Kyler Murray were together... Uh, I think for Kyler's Heisman season at Oklahoma. Um, so they've got a good rapport there. Rondale Moore, I think, showed last year he's really good. I don't think he should have ever fallen to the second round. And and they get DeAndre Hopkins as an all-world talent when he comes back from suspension. <laughs> the running backs, you could argue, are not as strong. They don't really have anything beyond Kyler Murray at quarterback either. Uh, which is always the concern that if he is away playing Call of Duty, don't they? They've got too much that that goes on behind them. They've got a brutal start, and you mentioned that Kansas City Chiefs, then at the Raiders, and then the Los Angeles Rams. That's a brutal start to a season. It is, and it's because of the play in the AFC West. It's, there's there's no there's not many easy games in this division at all. I I think an interesting point here is to talk about best case and worst case scenarios for each of these teams. And I think this is where this kind of shows how this folds out. If you take the Rams, right, I think the best case scenario, of course, is winning. 
The worst case scenario, do we see them dropping any worse than second? Unless there's some kind of mass widespread injury situation. Do we see the Rams finishing any lower than second in that division? No, not not unless, to your point, there's a there's a ton of yeah. um, injury issues. So take that aside, right? Cardinals, best case scenario is they could win that division. Worst case scenario, third in that division. I don't see them being bad enough to be last. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's, the Cardinals have the, the biggest range between first and third. The Niners, I don't think, and you'll shoot me down, I know I'm slightly cynical, I feel with a quarterback that's that inexperienced, I don't think there's a chance they win the division, but I think that they could finish second or they could finish third. I, I think it's first to third. That first okay. absolutely in play because okay. Trey, they took Trey Lance number three overall. So you have to bake into your expectations. There's a reason he went number three overall. If he hits that potential yeah. with the rest of that roster, that's potentially the number one seed in the NFC. I, I, like, yeah, it can be fine, that good. Fine. Yes, fine. And there's times when he has shown he is capable. There's times where he's shown a bit of lack of experience. And I, for me, it's just the experience. I'm not saying he's not capable. The experience and the lack of game time is what, for me, is the, the thing he needs to build up. Seattle. What is the best case scenario for Seattle? Third in the division. But we've not said any other team is capable of finishing last. It's fourth, and it's close enough that they have a shot at a quarterback, but not so close that Pete Carroll gets fired. Because I think he's still a good enough head coach. And we'll take widespread injuries because that is obviously something that can happen. Any team can finish last because all it takes is like, if Matt Stafford goes out and Cooper Cup goes out, right? Forget it. The, the Rams <laughs> are way down. Um, the same with the Niners. If we lose, you know, let's say we lose Debo, uh, we lose half the defense again. Um, and, you know, you take someone significant like Trent Williams out of the line, right? If something like that happens. The Niners are going to plummet. Um we're not, but on their best day with everyone available, we haven't argued anyone could finish fourth. But I feel highly uncomfortable saying that the Seahawks can do no better than fourth because they've shown just themselves of being capable of grinding out results and getting, especially at home. Uh, the challenge for them there is if they don't have that home field advantage because the crowds are switched off. That's where they'll struggle. But I just, I just can't sit here and say that there's no way that the Seahawks can't not finish fourth. I just, that doesn't seem right. I don't I think, think they make the postseason. I don't think uh, they make the postseason, but I just, yeah. Their, their ceiling, I think, is three. If they finish third in that division, I think they'll be, not not pleased, nobody is, but I think that's where where they will go. The team, despite the, the, the wide receivers, I think Arizona is the one team I cannot really peg. You know, you could make a case for them either way. I, I, it's one of the teams I'm really interested in seeing in week one, uh, the Chiefs at Arizona. I think it'll be a top-class game to watch. I think it's a great pick uh, by CBS uh, to put their top team out on that one. I think it really is. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. This is the season where there's no more excuses for Kyler Murray or Cliff Kingsbury. Like, Cliff Kingsbury's been in the game long enough now that he needs to know how to see this out. And Kyler Murray cannot excuse any kind of rookie contract question marks over his future stuff. His team have committed to him. 
So this is it for the Cardinals now. This is the pairing that they're going forward with. And I think that they need to take a step forward. They definitely do. Um, but listen, so th- they had a great year last year, 11 and 6. 11 yeah. and 6 into the postseason. Three teams out of this division made it. You know, one of them won the Super Bowl. Uh, one of them made it to the championship game. It's a really strong division. It is a strong division. And I think if, it will continue to be. If the Cardinals do not have T-shirts on them selling to their fans that says call to duty uh, for this season, then they're missing a <laughs> trick because I think that would sell. Absolutely sell. So there you go. That is our preview of the NFC West. So the one other thing to talk about, well, there's a couple of things to talk about before we wrap up, but we've got some administrative stuff to tell you about. But before that, today's obviously the day where we're getting the cuts coming in. This is where there's a couple of trades in play. Paul, we obviously need to get your input on this because one of the big trades today is the Saints um, officially trading CJ Gardner-Johnson to the Eagles. What's your initial take on that as a Saints fan? The initial take has to be surprise. I know he's in a, you know, last year and they're trying to get him, you know, there was potentially a deal done, but they must be so far apart. You've also got to think that they're confident in what they've got in the room. Because if not, I think it's it that doesn't make sense. I think, you know, what I've read through the, the local New Orleans bloggers and, and the, the papers and things, that there is a surprise. There's no doubt there's a surprise, but I think over the next few days, you might start seeing a little bit more of the stories that he wasn't overly cooperative um, in, in the in the preseason, and that may have just then they pulled the, pulled the trigger. Sometimes you've got to go there. A surprise, though, Cameron. I don't think there's any doubt. Anything to add, Gordon? The the Saints are pretty well stacked up in the secondary, so this is an area that they can afford to potentially lose a piece and not take too much of a step back. I just didn't love what they got in return. Mm. Yeah. Um, Marshawn Lattimore, I think, has, in my opinion, Marshawn Lattimore has been a little bit more up and down than some of the other cornerbacks in that class. I'm not entirely sold in Tara Matthew. I like Marcus May. I, I mean, that secondary to me feels like it's worse than it was a year ago, considering they lost Marcus Williams as well. So, I, I, I mean, if you think you're in with a shout of competing for a Super Bowl or competing to win that division, which I think the Saints should feel that they're in, in position to compete for that division, just let them walk next year and get the compensatory pick. I, I think it's. I think there's an upset to the team dynamic. I think that's. Yeah, possibly. I think that's well, the protection. Well, and we've seen we've seen on the field. You know, he had Javon Wims punching him in his helmet. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> he up so much. So maybe maybe there is an element whereby they started to get the impression that maybe he was about to start. You know, causing problems within the team. Maybe he had been already, but purely from an on the field perspective, I don't think they got enough back in return. Oh, yeah, I mean, it was a bag of beans back in return. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Ian Book also released. There's some chat that they want to take him back onto the practice squad. Um, it's just not good. That's just, it's, it's, this is, it's Winston time, right? And it's, uh, so what's the point? In- but I, I've, got, I've got a friend who's a Saints fan, and he sent me a text message when he, he watched one of their preseason games live and I woke up to a text from him in the morning and he said, 
Ian Book, that's pro- possibly the toughest watch I've ever had as a Saints fan. <laughs> I mean, that that's some go when you think of some of the guys that played quarterback <laughs> for the Saints over the years. Let, let's be honest, that, that ain't easy. No, I mean, I think, to be honest, last year you saw enough to know that Ian Book was never going to be a serious contender for a starter or a backup. So, yeah, move them on and go, and go in a different direction. I don't think it was a, a big surprise whatsoever. Brian Robinson, the rookie running back, obviously in the commander's team, he's made the 53 in spite of the fact he was shot twice and attempted carjacking. We wish Brian Robinson well and hope he has a speedy recovery. Uh, this is obviously the time where you start to see players getting cut. The Vikings have cut Kellen Mond already. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of movements going on there. Uh, a lot of players trying to be traded. There's a couple of wee trades here and there. Obviously, we talked about... Uh, the Raiders sending Trayvon Mullen to the Cardinals. Um, the Steelers have traded for Vikings offensive lineman Jesse Davis. Darius Slayton, there was a lot of chat about him potentially um, being traded for. He's on the 53 Giants squad. So this is it's fascinating because this is a time where, you know, thoughts go out to all the players getting cut and dropped. Um, obviously, Congratulations to the players that make the 53. A tough day for some, a celebratory one for others. It's fascinating for us to watch from afar and see exactly what direction all the teams are going in. And obviously there's some great players who are going to get cut. They're going to get picked up off the waiver. So, you know, plenty of guys are going to get the opportunity during the season. Injuries will take place. Other guys will get opportunities. So still great content as we get built up for the NFL season. And on to the admin then. So as we build up for the NFL season, we have officially signed on with the Bonnie Sauce Company once again, who are sponsoring our Pick'em competition, as we are, for the fifth time, going to be crowning the Pick King or Queen of Scotland. Make sure that you check out our Twitter feed, at ScotlandNFL, for all the information there. It's a completely free competition. It runs all season long. And thanks to the great people at Bonnie Sauce Company, the winner will not only be crowned the Pick king or queen of scotland they will also get an nfl jersey of their choice they will get a whole load of amazing hot sauces via the bonnie sauce company and they will get a special invitation to the stramash podcast fantasy league for next season um we need to get rid of paul because he doesn't even play he gets his son to do it for him so you know someone's got to take that place right all right, can I actually tell you, I prefer now, I prefer the pick'em to the fantasy football. I, I love it. I love it every week. Uh, I'm looking, there's all there's some variations coming in for it as well that I'm looking at where you can rank your your order of success or the, the expected success. So I think that's, it'll never be as big as fantasy football, but I think there's a lot in it. And I, yeah, I really enjoy it. Yeah, so you're there. right. And I am the general manager of my team. You keep underlining that I'm not doing the, the full amount of work, but the preparation's still there. We saw you on your draft night <laughs> with your feet in the air, leaning back. If you smoked cigars, you would have been smoking one at that particular point, shouting commands at your skivvy. Anyway, um, another shout out that we need to do here as well to the NFL Scotland website. So www.nflscotland.com. Really good article on there at the moment what you may have missed in the off-season. So that went up uh, earlier in the week. There's articles going on all week long as we get into the divisional previews there. 
And it's the West Divisions that went on first. So let's go and see if the writers have agreed with us or whether they think we're talking a load of nonsense. Um, written by Charlotte, and she's a Raiders fan, so I'm going to say that probably not. Um, but no, great content. Do check them out. Give them your support. We are fully sold out for our live event. We're looking forward to that. Uh, lots more to come. Um, we've talked about the fact that we've got another deal with Loch Lomond Single Malts. We've got more information on that. Uh, still looking for your input on our awards. We're talking about maybe getting rid of the ball bag award. We have had a couple of people get in touch to say that they really, really like it and like the opportunity to have a bit of a cheap shot. So do we do something else? Do we go back to Bowfin? Do we bring back the Bowfin award? Because that was just for bad play, not Bob Agary, which opened it up to all kinds of unpleasantries. We're very open to it. I, we've had absolutely zero tweets of support for Charles's poetry suggestion. I just want to put that out there. So, should, should also, by the way, we've now got yeah. through this line of like, podcast without Charles. So, no one's mentioned that the Packers beat the Saints in preseason. And I feel if we went a full podcast without a Packers mention, there's a lot of a lot of our fans. You know, the thing they tell us all the time is we need more Packers talk. We almost went this entire podcast without Packers talk. So Charles, there you go. I got that in for you. Yeah, I mean, Charles and I have done a separate podcast, uh, an hour and a half worth, deep dive into that preseason game. Uh, we'll try and get that posted up for you at some point. Jeez, uh, <laughs> could you it's imagine like oh, torture? Geez. Torture. Oh. Oh, <laughs> anyway, um, anyone, anyone got anything else to cover for just now? Then, no, I'm just, I just can't wait for the season to get started. You know, I mean, the phony war is is almost over, and we can get going once more. Should be fantastic. Ah, absolutely, can't wait for it. Okay, that is the full time whistle then for this episode 197 of Stramash. We'll be back next week as we get closer to 200 episodes and the start of the new NFL season. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.